Welcome to Season 7 of the Prima Donna Podcast, Sonic Portraits of Australian Artists. This audio was recorded and produced on Wurundjeri Country. I pay respects to Elders past and present. The third episode in this series features visual artist Wilma Tabako. To find out more about this project and to hear more episodes like this one, visit primadonnapodcast.com. I've titled this piece The Interweaving of Images and Words. Prelude. Prima Donna is Italian, meaning First Lady, and refers to the lead soprano in an opera. Their roles, written by men, usually portray temptresses, courtesans, power seekers, romantics duped by lascivious men. These women mostly die dramatically on stage, stabbed, shot, poisoned, broken-hearted, or by their own hand. Giuseppe Verdi's opera Rigoletto contains an aria sung by a tenor who plays the character of the Duke of Mantova. It is titled La Donna e Mobile. The libretto was written by Francesco Maria Piave and is based on a play by Victor Hugo. The tune is very upbeat and catchy. La Donna e Mobile translates as Woman is Fickle. It continues, qual piuma al vento, like a feather in the wind, muta da cento e di pensier, she changes her voice and her mind. All translations inevitably lack the essence of the original language. In this case, a more accurate translation is, yes, woman is fickle like a feather in the wind, she has no voice and no mind, meaning she is dumb and silly. It gets worse. Sisters of the Revolution, add the Duke of Mantova, Signor Verdi, Signor Piave, and Monsieur Hugo, to your burning list. In introducing myself, should I say, I am Wilma Tabaco, or my name is Wilma Tabaco? I am first-person singular of the present tense indicative of the verb to be conjugates as follows. I am, you are, she, he is, we are, you are, they are. This is the first verb one learns when studying a foreign language. Now, the next thing one learns to say is, what is your name? In Italian, come ti chiami? Answer, my name is Wilma Tabacco. In Italian, mi chiamo Vilma Tabacco. Hear the difference in the voice modulation, tonality and pronunciation when I use Italian to say my name. I remember a boy from my childhood who lived across the road from my family. His name was Prospero. In the Abruzzese dialect, my parents spoke, Prospero means a match. You know, that thing once used for lighting fires. The Italian word for match is fiammifero. Prospero actually means prosperous, affluent, of good fortune. I didn't know that at the time, so I thought, what a strange name to give someone. I did not then realise that my name was even stranger than his.
Last week, a telephone recorded female robot-like voice instructed me to repeat a phrase three times so that my voice could be recorded for identification purposes in a government authority's voice recognition program. I could have refused, but then my problem would never be resolved, so I complied. Yes, I confess I did put on a very posh accent and disguised my voice, not deliberately, I just don't respond well to being told what to do, but the robotic voice did not complain. So now my disembodied voice officially identifies me and I don't like it. I felt affronted by the process. I wanted to inform that robot that I'm an artist and that some artists are identified by their artworks. Edvard Munch's painting, The Scream, a picture of a woman screaming popped into my head as I recorded my voice identity. That screaming woman is mute, but I felt her scream and wanted to add mine to hers. Then I remembered Zai Twombly's painted words, echoing as moans, groans and wails, scribbled, scrawled, smudged, erased and repeated. Yes, some artists are identified by their artworks. What impetus propels someone to become an artist, a musician, a dancer, a writer? Professions where potential failure stares you in the face at every step you take. There is no satisfactory answer. Perhaps clues can be found captured within one's memory, fragmented and disconnected, that might provide some insights. I remember an episode in primary school, grade one, I think. The teacher gave each pupil a sheet of unlined paper and asked us to draw a tree in pencil. She then gave it a little demonstration of how we might go about this. For me, this experience was magical, mesmerizing. My tree didn't really look like a tree compared to some that the others had drawn, but I was happy, so happy. When I first attended primary school, I could not speak English. I was born in Italy and arrived here at the age of four. I have no memory of learning English, but I do remember that in the first week of prep grade, the teacher asked each pupil, in turn, to come onto her platform and in chalk, copy a letter of the alphabet that she had listed previously, sequentially, A to Z, horizontally, across the blackboard in her beautiful handwritten script. Our letter was to be written beneath hers. I got the letter B. I made a downward vertical line, turned right, and made an upward loop that joined the vertical in the correct position. Wrong, Wilma. You make the downward vertical shaft, go back up halfway, make a right hand turn, create the loop downwards and join it. Mine was missing that little sticking out bit of vertical line that allows the bee to sit neatly on the horizontal line of a page. As soon as I was able to read and speak English, I became my parents' interpreter and translator. 
It was harder for them to learn a strange language as quickly as I had. This was such a big responsibility for a young child, one that caused me considerable embarrassment. Did these seemingly disconnected experiences from long ago plant some slow germinating seed in my psyche, one that fused the making of images with the formation of words, English, Italian, Abruzzese dialect. Abstract images, words in the alphabet, chopped up and reconfigured to look like maps of actual places, are often the subject, or sometimes the content, of my paintings. I like to think of my abstractions as studied signs of illegibility. I write random words in unlined books, scrawled haphazardly over pages. They appear to have drifted down from the air and landed on a page in a sort of topography of thoughts. I've done this since the late 80s. I have books and books of interesting words that I sometimes refer to when I struggle to title works or exhibitions. Words and images together. Lately, I've been collecting Latinate words with the neuter suffix ium, premium, consortium, palladium, symposium, compendium, podium, and proscenium, just to name a few. There are hundreds of them used in the English language. In grade four, I was told that I would never be an artist. It was just before Christmas. I was asked to find a cardboard box that would be used to house the nativity scene we would later make. I did, and it was therefore my task to paint the outside of the box in a most glorious dark blue. I now know it was ultramarine blue. It was meant to represent the night sky, I suppose. I commenced. No, that is not the way you paint. You don't paint smudgy marks with a loaded brush any or which way. You start at the top left corner of the box and paint in a straight horizontal line to the other corner. Then you repeat the same process under the first stroke and continue until you reach the bottom of the box. You, Wilma, will never be an artist. Well, Mrs. So-and-so, whose name and face I've forgotten, but whose words I've always remembered, I have now been a successful professional artist for nearly 40 years. What you didn't understand was that your formula lacked the personal, any residue emotion, and it lacked my hand, hence me. My first solo exhibition was in 1988, at Niagara Galleries in Richmond. Hard work, great ideas, and superior technical painting skills can go unnoticed without an unexpected event that changes the course of one's life. The director of Niagara Galleries came to visit an artist colleague whose studio was located in the same complex as mine. To enter her studio, he had to pass through mine. He saw my paintings, liked them, and asked my colleague to tell me to telephone him. After having shown folios of my works to various gallery directors, that's what one did before digital images 
the internet and social media and being told, oh, we're booked up for the next three years, come back some other time, meaning don't come back at all, I wasted no time. The rest is history. Thank you, Mr. William Nuttall. I exhibited with Niagara Galleries for 21 years, from 1988 until 2010, with works sold to major national and state museums and galleries and to private collectors. I can't go through my CV here. It runs to 13 pages of dense text. Suffice it to say that I've mounted 45 solo exhibitions in a variety of commercial and public spaces, participated in 250 or more group exhibitions, co-directed an art gallery, Langford 120, for eight years, curated exhibitions, written essays and more. My work has been reviewed in newspapers, magazines, books. Catalogues have been published. Should I be so inclined, I could add the following to my name. Bachelor of Commerce, Diploma in Education, Diploma in Fine Arts, Master in Arts and Doctorate in Philosophy. I've taught painting, drawing and printmaking at university level for 32 years. Part-time, of course. And my teaching style is nothing like that of my fourth grade teacher. At the end of 2010, I resigned from my permanent part-time position at RMIT. I needed some fresh air. Earlier that same year, I parted ways with Niagara Galleries. I needed new experiences. Folly, yes. Risky, yes. But sometimes one needs a sea change, irrespective of one's age. Independence called. In mid-2011, my RMIT and artist colleague, Irene Barbaras and I, neither of us lacking in initiative, opened our own independent commercial gallery space, Langford 120, in a beautiful refurbished industrial warehouse in North Melbourne. This at a time when many commercial galleries were closing. More folly. We had already initiated several collaborative projects in the past, so were familiar with our particular skills. Over nearly eight years running Langford 120, we curated and mounted countless individual and group exhibitions with works by hundreds of emerging and established artists, local and international, that, as it happened, were mostly women artists. We also exhibited our own works, including experimental installations, ones that no commercial gallery would have wanted to show. Running a gallery was a wonderful experience for both of us, but being artists, we had little appetite for commerce. At the end of 2018, we relinquished the gallery space, which by the way, is now a gymnasium, deciding that we needed to focus instead on our own studio practices and careers. Then, the next year, COVID arrived. During our time at Langford 120, Marita Smith from Gallery Smith 
visited us many times. She was encouraging and supportive, provided advice, even though technically we could have been considered working in competition. She liked my work and offered me a solo exhibition for 2019. I was delighted to accept. I've been fortunate to have the support of several reputable gallery directors over the years, including Helen Maxwell and Nancy Seaver, both in Canberra, and now Marita Smith. Verbal or written descriptions of visual images can be tedious, but I'll try and do a short summary for you. My paintings, especially those made in the last 20 years, appear simple, paired back to a few finely tuned colours and a bunch of crisscrossed or broken or continuous lines that act to enclose spaces or not. But there is more to my abstraction than meets the eye. Think poetry, few words, very carefully distilled to evoke ideas and emotions that are not described or explained. After completing my doctoral thesis, titled Reading Between the Lines, that contextualized my striped works within modernist and contemporary abstract practices, I decided to focus less on optical perception and cultural colour usage and more on ideas of change, destruction and renewal. Aspects of my Italian cultural heritage with all its idiosyncrasies are in my formation and this inevitably directs my work, but it's difficult to define the echoes and sentiments of foreignness or historical events. Certainly my work's content is not personal. It's not about my identity. Rather, artifices of language, displacement, misplacement, replacement plays out in what I make. Languages retain their own visual resonances recorded in memories, in histories, cultural taste preferences, particular sensibilities, dreams, ruined monuments and architecture, civilizations that speak to us through their buried, broken and sometimes retrieved artifacts, shards of past endeavors buried beneath layers of time. All of this lies under my seemingly cheery colors and razor-sharp forms. For Walter Benjamin, digging becomes a synonym for self-discovery, a means for making art, where the detritus of the past underlies the construction of sight of both modernity and memory. The images of the past, quote, reside as treasures in the sober rooms of our later insights, unquote. I often wonder whether, having been born in the high peaks of the central Apennine Mountains in Italy, where to look down into troughs and valleys, and in winter, even clouds, has influenced my paintings in subtle ways that even I can't comprehend. Many of my paintings look like aerial views, something to fly over rather than view from solid ground. This has the effect of drawing a viewer 
closer to the artwork and then propelling them backwards to safer ground. To move from place to place, to be displaced for whatever reason, is the history of human civilization. Through my paintings over the years, I have reconstructed Roman ruins, referenced seismic events, reimagined historical stories, and rebuilt, so to speak, in pure gold, the structures of L'Aquila, where I was born, destroyed by that catastrophic earthquake in 2009. I have shattered glass, mapped the Campus Martius, depicted formations of Roman soldiers, divided the ancient Palatine Hill into real estate plots, pieced together parts of Pompeii and Herculaneum, and much more, all in the ambiguous visual language of hard-edge abstraction. If you wish to see some of my recent paintings, they are on display at Gallery Smith in Abbotsford Street in North Melbourne in April-May of this year. I've titled this exhibition Proscenium. Proscenium, Latinized from Greek and meaning a stage. More specifically, the front part of the stage, the curtains and its framework. It is the metaphorical vertical frontal plane of space in a theatre that can also be considered a social construct separating the actors and their stage world from the audience. But because both are in the same auditorium, reciprocal responses are encouraged. This proscenium suite of paintings has been carefully staged within a designated gallery space. The gallery becomes a staged setting for artworks that represent me in my absence. The sequential placement of individual works on the walls and the intervals between them provide an overarching narrative constructed through rhythm while each work retains its unique character. Unlike that body of work exhibited in 2019 under the title of Fosse, a Latin, French and Italian word, this time I've made linear configurations dominant. However, like most of my work over many years, in some way or another, the oscillation between form shape and line creates a perpetual fluttering that tends to confound most viewers. Empty space, can become shape, and then, with the blinking of an eye, slip back into nothingness. The frontality of these new works, the linearity that confounds spatial readings, the painted strokes that identify the hand, the finely tuned colour, all aim to express ideas, emotions, and other influences embedded in their long gestation. While references to culture, language, ground, space and fragmented archaeological artefacts are present in all my works, I think it's safe to say that, unlike their predecessors that dug into the archaeology of the past, I prefer to consider these works as inverted archaeology, imagined remnants mapped for future archaeologists to tunnel into and to speculate on the dystrophic 
now. Words are not substitutes for images, nor can they adequately elucidate their scope or describe their full range of potential meaning. This is the domain of the viewer. If you look into and between the lines of my works, through the colours, inside and outside of bordering edges, you will find what I have placed there. Artists in whatever field are restless creatures, never satisfied, there's always more to do, more to say, I could have done this, I should have done that, are common refrains. I have some exciting new projects planned for the future. Also, I have not entirely given up on teaching art. For the last few years, I've conducted workshops at the Art Room in Footscray, a community arts hub run by two courageous and wonderful women where I'm able to share my specialised knowledge in challenging ways. I know that many young and now not so young artists have been grateful for my support and advice over the years, even long after they graduated from university. It makes me proud to have had the opportunities to share my insights with them. If you've managed to listen to me up to this point, I sincerely thank you. You can see most of my works, along with various essays, some written by me and others by more distinguished writers, reproduced on my website. They are not the actual works, they are reproductions. Works or reproductions of works can be seen at Gallery Smith website also. You've been listening to the Prima Donna podcast. To find out more about this project and to hear more episodes like this one, visit primadonnapodcast.com.